Yes, indeedy. Welcome to the Upful Life Podcast. I'm your host, B. Getz. This is episode number 15, coming at you live and direct from the Vibe Junkie Studios in Oakland, California. And we're so thrilled to be back with you. Episode 15, the Jazz Fest preview. We're going to be looking deep into New Orleans Jazz Fest in this episode, as well as a couple of interviews with some heavy hitters like Eddie Roberts of the New Master Sounds and Matador Soul Sounds and the Color Red Music. Uh, Also a short chat with the fellas from Ghost Note, Sput and Nate, founders of Ghost Note. Uh, also, members of Snarky Puppy. I'm going to be talking about a whole lot of New Orleans stuff with them. And I'm going to be doing a short little Jazz Fest preview where I'm going to run down some of the shows I'm looking forward to personally. Um, but first, we're going to do our thank yous that I do at every episode. We're just going to shout some folks out that are instrumental in making things happen in one way or another. And for episode 15, appropriately enough, we'll start with Color Red Music, which is uh, the label and sort of brand, uh, new kind of music entertainment coming out of Colorado called Color Red. All original music released every week, more than just a record label, Color Red is a music scene, a curated music group a media outlet, a studio, a genre-fluid music platform, and a global launchpad of ideas. Color Red launched in Denver in 2018 in a city that embodies the richness of music and ideas that continually flow through this enlightened U.S. hub. So you can visit www.color-red.co to see the latest update on the upcoming releases and new events nationwide worldwide these dudes are killing it Uh, we talk at length about it with eddie in the interview but uh again www.color-red.co 
And first things first, they've got a brand new contest dropping for the new Master Sounds over at Color Red. Shout out to Leah, who made me aware of this contest that's dropping like right now through May 1, where you can win a signed test pressing of the new Master Sounds Shake It 7-inch single, which I believe I have a snippet to play later. But uh, in celebration of the new Master Sounds 20th anniversary, and Shake It 7-inch single release. Color Red and the new Master Sounds are giving away four prize bundles. By completing simple tasks and following Color Red channels, you have multiple ways to enter. If you pre-order the album, you get no less than three entries. Each prize bundle includes an exclusive signed copy of new Master Sounds 7-inch test pressing, a copy of the 7-inch when it's released, two tickets to a Master Sounds 20th anniversary show of your choice, and a color red and new Master Sounds merch bundle, which includes a commemorative 20th anniversary pin. The winners will be drawn on May 1. Um, so again, go to the website or their social media channels to find out more. They're dropping new music on Tuesdays. The Jedi thing that dropped today was John Blaze. The new electric Beethoven stuff is fantastic. I mean, this Congo Sanchez remix of Matador Soul Sound's Stingy Love that you're hearing in the background right now is just, like, intravenous sexy. Congo Sanchez, Jeff Franca, a guest of the podcast, a few weeks back. So, uh, yeah, Color Red Music. And also, I uh, just want to shout out, shameless plug for my fiance's tea company. She uh, blessed up a couple of the cats in... Uh, matador with some sweet tea or you should say some handcrafted tea blends it's not sweet tea but it's pretty sweet uh tea blends handcrafted for the mind body and soul path to panacea find them on etsy or facebook p-a-t-h-t-o-p-a-n-a-c-e-a path to panacea um that is like incredible tea blends with hand-painted jars that are just beautiful and a lot of TLC goes into putting this product together so yeah it's also part of the Upful Life podcast so wanted to thank Path to Panacea along with Color Red Music uh, and check out Path to Panacea on Etsy and Facebook Anderson Pack, Ventura, just dropped. Shit is phenomenal. 
This is the track with Andre 3K, Dream Come True. It's called Come Home. Just wanted to take a moment, show some love to Swanee Rising Festival, which happened uh, a week and a half ago. Tremendous first-time event down at the Spirit of Swanee. There's been a lot of buzz and a lot of talk about Halloween and things that have gone wrong and unfinished business, and I'm not going to touch any of that. I'm going to talk about the now and the future and just kind of a deep bow to the folks uh, that made that happen, uh, the folks from the Music Farm and in Charleston, South Carolina, were behind uh, Swanee Rising and did a fantastic job in a short amount of time. Uh, if a short review out on Live for Live Music this week, you'll see with some highlights, but I'd be remiss if I didn't just take a moment to give them some props and uh, the artists and, and bands that came and performed threw down uh, performances worthy of the Bear Creek comparisons, none more so than uh, my favorite band, Lettuce, uh, featuring the episode 14 guest, Adam Schmeen's Smirnoff. Uh, it's no secret, Lettuce is my favorite band. They're my boys. I've seen them play on the amphitheater stage at Swanee no less than 22 times. And this one on Saturday night, the second and festival closing set that they performed, was among their most triumphant and glorious performances that I've ever bore witness to. Not just at Swanee, but anywhere I've had the privilege of seeing Lettuce perform. Yes, it was that good. So uh, just wanted to acknowledge that. Also, Ghost Note, who you'll hear from later in this episode, played two outstanding sets. And then members of Ghost Note and Lettuce uh, played like a 4 a.m. campground jam on borrowed equipment for like two hours and it was you know the kind of thing dreams are made of and uh, just one of those only at spirit of swanee experiences and um gotta shut up because three thousands rapid so yes indeedy uh, Swanee Rising Master Sounds were incredible um, Dumpster Funk also new and improved you know Mono Neon with the sit-in those Ghost Note guys were all over the place they were playing with everybody and uh, really enjoyed some of the local cats like LPT this uh, Cuban band out of Jacksonville and Holy Miss Moly was super funky, setting the table for the second lettuce show. So yeah, there was a lot of good stuff going down at Swanee Rising, typical for that music park. And, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't take opportunity to say so. we've arrived at the feature interview of episode 15 of the Upful Life podcast. 
and we're going to sit down for about an hour with Eddie Roberts of the New Master Sounds, Matador Soul Sounds, and Color Red Music, which is a label and music group and collective out of Denver, who I spoke about earlier. Eddie was kind enough during his uh, three-night residency at the Boom Boom Room with the Eddie Logic Project and Eddie Roberts West Coast Sounds, respectively. Eddie took the time while he was here to invite me to the Queen Anne Hotel, which is a magnificent, ornate, beautiful hotel here in San Francisco. And we sat down, chatted for a good while about his history and journey in the music world and the work he does with his charitable organization, The Payback, Uh, Story of the Master Sounds, a bit of the story of the Matador Soul Sounds, and a bunch about how Color Red came to be. Now, I must acknowledge, I wasn't always paying attention to the new Master Sounds. And years ago, I just somehow consciously missed a lot of what they were doing and a lot of what Eddie was doing. And uh, Hindsight's twenty twenty, and I see the sort of error of my assumptions and judgments in the rearview mirror. And uh, I just wanted to take a moment and own that and say that uh, I've come to learn that, you know, the Master Sounds are a phenomenal band, and Eddie Roberts is an even better guy. And you'll find out why in this interview. I feel like we just scratched the surface, but what a surface we scratched. We left a lot on the table for, uh, you know, round two or even round three. And I'm grateful for the friendship that I've established with Eddie and uh, humbly sort of acknowledge, uh, tacitly acknowledge that uh, any judgments I may have made in the past were misguided, misinformed, and uh, I'm here to own that. And just a testament to how wonderful a human Eddie Roberts is. He still gave me this amazing interview and uh, gave us a little snippet of the Shake It 7-inch, which I'm going to play before the interview in a few moments. Again, check out that Shake It 7-inch contest on Color Red Music. And uh, stay tuned for a snippet of the new track, vinyl-only release. And then you'll hear from the one and only Eddie Roberts of the new Master Sounds, Matador Soul Sounds, and Color Red on episode 15 of the Upful Life podcast. I'm your host, B. Getz. here at the Queen Anne Hotel in downtown San Francisco. This is the Upful Life Podcast. I'm your host, B. Getz, and I'm very lucky and privileged uh, this afternoon uh, to have Eddie Roberts of the New Master Sounds and Matador Soul Sounds and a number of other 
projects and contingents and a uh, adopted son of the city of San Francisco himself. So thank you, Eddie, for making the time. Thanks for joining me by the fireplace. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, let's talk about this hotel for a second. Uh, it's crazy. Yeah, it's uh, the Queen Anne Hotel. And it's it, when you think of maybe what would be in Queen Anne's uh, palace mm-hmm. waiting room, this might be it. Yeah, I mean, this was built 1896, uh, I believe. It's a historic hotel of San Francisco. And uh, the boom, boom room of... Uh, very nicely put the band up at the, at the Queen Anne. So, um, and I believe Spees actually has the most haunted room in San Francisco. So I'm a little jealous on that. But I did hear a child crying in the middle of the night, and there was no children staying at the hotel. So I, yeah. get, I, get, I got a little taste of it. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> pretty scary stuff. Uh, I would, uh, you know, not envy Chris being in the haunted room. I mean, you got to you're getting a very little sleep while you're here as it is. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, apparently all the, all the lady does is rearrange your clothes in the night. So it's a that's, bit of feng shui going on. Yeah, that's a feng shui yeah, ghost. That's an advantage, if anything, right? <laughs> say, well, for I'm a touring musician for sure. Well, I've, I've done some interviews in some hotels and I've stayed at many hotels, but I have to say this is one of the more beautiful and, and sort of tranquil vibe uh, lobbies of any hotels I've been in. <laughs> yeah, right. So thank you uh, for making the time and bringing us here. And like I said, you are a adopted son of the city of San Francisco. You lived here for a time and you're playing a three night stand at the Boom Boom Room with your Eddie Logic project and as well as uh, the West Coast Sounds gig tonight, which I'm looking forward to. But briefly, we mentioned uh, as we were talking off air about the Payback, which is the nonprofit uh, charitable organization that you, you know, I guess, lead or head up. Yeah. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about that, specifically because I work in downtown San Francisco, just off the Tenderloin, and I had to navigate my way through that neighborhood when I walked up here from taking the train here. And right. I, have a, I have a really, really soft heart for people that are suffering, especially in the way that's on display down there. So you mentioned that uh, that's where it all started for you with the payback. Yeah, I, I, I lived uh, a block away from the Great American Music Hall, so O'Farrell and Larkin, right on the, it's kind of, I guess it's the edge of the Tenderloin. Um, and uh, I just I just really found a sense of community there, and I, I, I loved it there. Um, I kind of got to know a lot of the people on the street, and, you know, we did all, you know, it was, wave at each other and have a you know pass the time of day sometimes and i just felt a real great community even though obviously there's a there's all this suffering going on and all this homelessness and drug problems and things like that so i just felt compelled um that if i was going to be playing shows at the great american musical that that was part of the community that i wanted to pay back to the community and that's where the name came from obviously it's a james brown song as well so it seemed, that seemed fitting um so that's, that's why I started it and started uh, uh, working with um, an organization called Compass Family Services that have been around 100 years and they uh, work with uh, families with children under five, so homeless families, and displaced families. So um, we've been doing, I started doing an annual event at the Great American Music Hall for that. And then I've transferred it to, to Denver and I've been doing a similar thing with homeless youth in Denver now. That's awesome. I still do keep keep a hand in of the San Francisco thing as well. Is the is the Denver project also under the payback? Yeah, uh, yeah, okay. yeah. Um, so we did one in December at the Ogden. Okay. Raised twenty three thousand for homeless youth in uh, Denver. That's amazing, man. Yeah, I'm happy to hear about that. And it's funny. Uh, before I uh, got in trouble and had to take my little time out, the very last night of music I saw was 
uh, your payback event at the Great American Music Hall in 2014, okay. uh, with Nth Power opened, as I recall. Right. Or played, or Nikki played, yeah, I was pretty sure it was the Nth Power yeah. opened, and you played with a version of the West Coast Sounds. So, maybe that was the one with Zigaboo? I don't know. This sure. I I don't recall, I he, and I think he, I would. Yeah, you know. he he did a, he did a few of them. Yeah. yeah, but anyway, that was a great night of music, and also something that I, I held on to for a while because it was right. my last taste of right. of that for a minute. But yeah, let's talk a little bit about before your time in San Francisco because a lot of our listeners, you know, listen because of the connection to Jazz Fest or Swanee or Bear Creek. But there's also a big contingent of or you know of the listeners I have. There is a a portion of them that are less than familiar with you or who you are, the music you make, and your connection to all these communities. So um, by listening, they can probably tell that you're not from the U.S. So <laughs> I know my, my accent's got a little strange these yeah. days. It's a mix of uh, uh, Welsh and English and, and American, you know, uh, bi-coastal American. <laughs> yeah, you've been <laughs> who all Who knows over what here. it is yeah. anymore? Yeah. And it depends who I'm talking to. It might change. My, my accent changes depending on, you know, if I'm yes. talking to an American, I tend to slip into some Americanisms and a little, you know, t- taint to the accent. <laughs> I understand that. My fiance is uh, from Tallahassee, Florida, and only Southern accent comes out when she's speaking with her mom or dad, exactly. you know, otherwise. But yeah, I wanted to, let's just talk about you and finding the guitar, finding your way to the guitar as a youth. Uh-huh. Uh, just everybody's got to kind of tell their story about like how it all started. So as little or as much as you want to tell us about uh, how you found your way to holding it and I'll, playing I'll a guitar. I'll try and make it brief. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a long time ago as well. Um, I actually started playing the keys when I was about seven. And then I was in a park one day and I saw a guy playing the guitar with a crowd of people around him. And I was like, whoa, that's what I want to play. It's like rather than sitting at a piano staring at a wall, I, kinda, I could actually sit in a park and and play to people um, and so it just really resonated with me the, the instrument resonated with me and um, so I begged my parents for a guitar for Christmas and um, they uh, they gave in in the end and, and that's where it started I was probably around 10 years old okay and how soon after you switched over the guitar did you realize that this was your calling you knew right away oh yeah yeah I mean I yeah I was so obsessed with it that I, I on the back of the, the kind of cardboard back of backing of a notepad, I I drew out the uh, the strings and the frets, and I learned all the chord shapes before Christmas Day. So when I got my guitar Christmas Day, oh, right. I already knew the chords. Okay, right on. So, so you knew it. Yeah, you I was an obsessive. Yeah, yeah. or still am. Yeah. Well. Um, it's obviously been the right call because here we are talking about your illustrious career all these years later. Uh, what were some of those first chords, I should say, like first tunes or first guitarists you were emulating? Um, I mean, you know, I was just, you know, getting, you know, kind of learn books, you know, learn, learn to play the guitar right at the beginning. But then my brother, was, who's a couple of years older than me, he had a paper round and he started buying vinyl. And that's where the the, uh, the education started. Okay. And, um, we kind of started on the, kind of in the, you know, rock side of things, you know, Sabbath, Deep Purple, and all that kind of stuff. And then, um, actually through a lot of linear notes, it pointed towards jazz. A lot of these guys talked about jazz and their influences of blues and jazz. So we started buying, you know, records, just randomly going into shops and, and record stores and, you know, looking through the jazz section and picking out albums of people that we'd heard of or pe- heard people mention um, 
and I got really into Hendrix, um, but simultaneously kind of being into like um, bebop and, and uh, you know just and I I kind of guess I kind of settled around that like hard bop era, the kind okay. of '60s Blue Note stuff that really resonated with me. And you know, Grant Green was really the first jazz guitar player that I heard when I heard his sound. I it, it just it just struck a chord. You know. I couldn't agree more. I mean, uh, I'm obviously less schooled or learned in that world as you, but uh, when people ask me, uh, you know, who, my favorite guitarist, I say after Jerry Garcia, it's Grant Green. And it was, uh, right. I found Grant Green because I was through the Gray Boys, basically, right. and, and Robert Walter, uh, when I was a very young guy and like nervously approached him, I was underage, you know, had like two X's on my hands at the show. <laughs> it was in 1997. And I asked about a song that ended up being that it played and was Flood in Franklin Park oh, off cool. Live at the Lighthouse. I've told him this story a number of times. Yeah, I think he just likes me to, he, to hear me tell it because he right. pretends like he hasn't heard it before. <laughs> but uh, anyway, that's how I found Grant Green. That's and cool. I got to say, of all the guitarists in that realm, it was his music mm-hmm. through the Blue Note Rare Groove stuff yeah. that really got me. What was it about Grant Green that stood out to you? Because you've modeled a lot of what you do yeah. in his sort of I just, path. Um, I found a lot of the guitar, the jazz guitar players, it was kind of um, a very dull tone, kind of, they almost sound like they're underwater, you know, and, and uh, um, there was just this kind of zing and presence to Grand Green's sound. And I also just really like the kind of lyric, lyrical simplicity that he plays with. It's not, you know, too many notes. I mean, I know I play too many notes, but I love how he didn't play so many notes, you know. Um, but... Uh, yeah, it's just yeah. There's a real beauty of simplicity to how how he plays, and and it, he just really sings through the guitar. Yeah, I would agree, and uh, I feel like um, there's a whole school of of musicians like yourself and younger that kind of just like there's a million jam bands that are out of the Jerry Garcia tree. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot that sort of come out of that blue note rare groove. Mm-hmm. But yeah, realm, and, and more, more and more, you know, it's it's uh, it seems to be resonating more now than obviously it did at the time. There was, you know, um, backlash. I, I, I just did an interview for um, um, one of the jazz magazines, and 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 that, that was really the story they were telling that he wasn't really recognized. Right, he was, you know, um, during the time um, because of his simplicity. And, right. Uh, so they were trying to like figure out like why so many people are into it now, and, right? Uh, um, yeah, so so it's it's cool that he's having that resurgence, even though he's not around to appreciate it. Right, right, and it's I guess what was all the rave then was like that fusion, that really intense, uh, mm-hmm. lots of notes, yeah. polyrhythmic, and he was so about pocket and groove and yeah, yeah. I mean, like lyrical, I said, like, like I said, you said to them, you know, it's like. You know, a lot of the great jazz singers are celebrated for their phrasing, and it's almost like you know they're kind of, you know, the the the, the beauty of phrasing and simplicity, but then for some reason, Grant Green wasn't celebrated for that on doing that on the guitar, but now he is because right. it does resonate with people. It sure does. I mean, uh, that's timeless music, and I think that's alive and well in what you do. And you do a Grant Green tribute from time to yeah, time. Yeah. How'd you put that together? Um, it was somebody suggested it to me, and I, I, I kind of felt that maybe it was a bit obvious, you know. But then, then I, when I talked to people, they were like, you know, I was encouraged to do it really, and 
and uh, and then I um, I asked Grant Green Jr. if you know if I could have his permission. Basically. Right. So, well, that's honorable. Uh, yeah, and and he was he said he couldn't think of anyone better. So you know that was a real honor. So I've I've been doing that from time to time. It's actually I'd say at this point it's my my most enjoyable show. I just I just lo love playing that music. It's uh, um, I get so much out of it playing that show. It shows, and I've seen it twice now, and I enjoy it. You know, and I love Grant Green. I think you do him honor and and respect, and and kind of bring his music uh, or his style, I should say, because it's a, it's a songbook of a lot of artists that you play in his style. Right, right. But uh, I feel like you're kind of passing that on to folks that might not connect with it otherwise. Yeah, and I'm 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 surprised. I'm, I guess because I was always so deep into it, I'm surprised. How little people know, and a lot of people know the songs, and they go, "Oh, I didn't know that's that was Grant Green." Right. <laughs> like, but now it makes sense. Right. You know? So that's been really cool. Yeah, that's been cool. Well, a lot of people, you know, are familiar with the new Master Sounds um, here in the states in terms of what they know of you. But in my prepping for this interview and just doing a little bit of research, you were well down the road as an established band long before you, quote, broke through here. So could you give us maybe a little bit of a primer on how the Master Sounds came to life, where, when, what the vibe was like? In, it was in Leeds, right? Yeah. 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 Paint um, the picture for, like, that era of the band. Yeah, so um, it, it's I, there's uh, various um, biographies out there or the, you know, like you know, that, that say that I was running clubs in, in Leeds and... <laughs> Isn't it not actually true? I I was kind of involved. I was working with some DJs, and we had a little crew. And we were putting club nights on, you know. And uh, I was kind of the office boy, really. And uh, um, so I was tailor making bands to play at these nights. But they were very much DJ led nights, and you know DJs playing funk and soul and you know, acid jazz, which you know the the phrase that we mentioned earlier. Um, and uh, um, so yeah, I was kind of like tailor making bands really for that scene, and then uh, in 1999, having had a band called The Master Sounds, I changed the lineup. Um, there was a couple of years where we didn't do that, and then in 1999, we started the new Master Sounds. Okay. So it's our 20 year anniversary this year. Right on. That's awesome. I didn't realize that, but I, I saw that the first, well, at least as far as your discography goes on Spotify, the earliest. Uh, recording was issued in 2000 so i had to figure there was a history before you don't just show up and make a record day right, one right so you had masters the master sounds master for a time. Sounds, yeah was yeah. it rooted in that same sort of throwback vibe yeah for sure and it was you know simon the drummer was was in okay. that band and uh we we actually didn't we didn't have an organ player in the band because i had another band called the three deuces which was an organ trio it was okay. just guitar organ and drums um so i didn't you know there was no point starting another band that was just playing organ music, so it was uh, that was just guitar, bass, percussion, and drums. Um, it was a little bit more kind of simplistic, but um, it, you know, still in that kind of funky kind of blue note vibe. Um, and then the when I and in fact the Three Deuces, you talk about Grey Boy All Stars. So the Three Deuces opened for the Grey Boy All Stars on the Grey Boys' first ever European show. Wow, uh, was in Leeds, mid nineties. It's like ninety five. I think. Wow. And and that's when I met the Great White All Stars for the first time. They showed up thinking that they were the only guys in the world right. doing kind of rare groove at the time. Yeah. And they showed up to Leeds and there was this whole scene going on and they were like, What is That's going amazing. On? Yeah. It's funny you bring that up because I've you know, and I I'm 
embarrassed or kind of sheepish to admit this, but I always, in the I, Grey Boys were my entree into that world. They even opened the door to yesteryear. You know, I was, it was in the 90s. It was pre-internet. I went to college in Vermont. They came and played. The rest is history. So because I was introduced to your music much further down the road, I always saw you as kind of like the next generation of that aesthetic, not right. their peers. Right. And I, I appreciate you. Uh, I learned this in my research, but and just it's been explained to me a few times, but um, that, you know, you were doing the same kind of thing or similar mm-hmm. uh, simultaneously, independent of one another. And right. it's amazing to hear that they made their way out to you and you guys were direct support. Yeah. And even they were shocked. Right. That there was something going on already. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, yeah. it wasn't theirs to begin with either. So, of course. Right, right. You know? Right. Um, and, you know, and the, the, the same thing with like Sugarman 3 and, and right. all that crew that came through. They used to come play the clubs as well. And we'd open for them or, you know, and play with them. And uh, so, yeah, there was definitely that, there, you know, there was a big scene of that going on in the UK. And, um, you know, the. The, the the phrase acid jazz became a dirty word. Actually, yeah, in, 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 it's in like Britain. neo soul. And yeah, <laughs> well, it was because the, of the the label, label. acid jazz. So right. we were using the term, and it was because acid house was happening. Right. Plus, we were in Leeds, which is thirty miles from Manchester, so it's in the north of England, where this whole acid acid house scene was happening at the Hacienda and all that. So then, legendary time in electronic music. Yeah, yeah. Um, so early nineties and uh, late eighties, early nineties, and then. So, well, so we started playing, you know, uh, dance floor jazz, essentially, uh, and um, and we called it acid jazz because you could dance to it, and it was the kind of antidote for the acid house scene that was going on, and um, that's kind of where it came from. Um, and then the label acid jazz started up and started putting out what we considered to be pretty insipid music. <laughs> Commercial. And, and <laughs> you know, we were kind of like, that's not acid right. jazz. So they, like, that's co-op, pop music. Right, they co-opted the term. And, <laughs> yeah, and yeah. so so then so then we, we used to get really offended when we were called acid jazz. We were like, they're not acid right. jazz. But then I came to America and people say, oh, you're acid, acid jazz. Yeah. We were like, no. And then like, oh yeah, I see, I see what they, yeah, that's what it's they It's a different mean. connection, yeah, yeah. right. So, right. So we embraced the term eventually. Right on. Yeah, um, yeah, I don't think of you guys as quote-unquote acid jazz. I, I don't even think of Jamiroquai per se, but like brand new heavies or incognito yeah, or that whole vibe. Yeah, and that, yeah. you know, it's hit or miss. And, 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 you know, and they're great, you know, yeah. especially in retrospect listening to it. Right. It, it was so great, but it was just because, you know, that was like a different scene to what we were doing. We were right. doing the authentic stuff and playing the old records yeah. and everything. And, and, uh, yeah. It's funny you say that because you really were authentic is an understatement when i was like listening to some of your old stuff like the i mentioned the keb darge Mm -hmm. uh collection or whatever um it's you could convince be convinced that it's the garage funk of of 71 i mean aesthetically it's very lo-fi it's very Mm -hmm. analog it's got that fuzz and if you put it in between a couple tracks from 40 years ago you wouldn't blink um how did you uh, conceptualize or, or arrive at that in, in a time where, especially then, the idea was we wanted to sound current and now and really big, fat-sounding music. And you guys are the antithesis of that. You're doing a very minimalist, lo-fi, before yeah. it was cool. Well, like I said, that you know, the uh, Daptone, well, pre-Daptone, it was Desco. Um, right. And so Sharon Jones 
um, and I think they, I think it was over, and um, I got to know. So the drummer Philip Lehman, and he was like the he ran the label with Gabe, and he was, they were both into this whole production. The whole, what became known as Shitty is Pretty. <laughs> it, there was a famous interview with Gabe, and I think he said Shitty is Pretty, and we've always we've all held on to that. And uh, and I talked to them a lot about this, you know, this the way they use tape and distort the tape and how they used to do it back in the day. And and um, so I started experimenting with that, and that was just a a sound that I loved and um, and then we played a show at the Jazz Cafe in London and Kev Dodge who is this you know um, world renowned um, uh, DJ collector and uh, curator of some kind yeah I mean he, you know he was he was at the time probably the most famous kind of funk deep funk uh, DJ you know uh, around and um, he was DJing that night and he came up afterwards. He said, "Oh, we got to make a record together." So yeah. he kind of came up to Leeds, and we went in the studio. And he was, you know, executive producer. Basically, he told us to play everything a little faster. He's like, okay. "Yeah, just like that, but faster." Because he's a DJ, so <laughs> he's a DJ. keeping he people dancing. Yeah, 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 exactly. So um, there's a fantastic aesthetic on that record. I mean, it stands yeah. the test of time. It's my favorite of the old Master Sounds material. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it, you know, and it was made very, very simply. Um, just straight on the tape, and that's actually what I've gone back to now with with the Color Red Studio. Um, I want I spent so much time in post production trying to make things sound like that old tape sound. So I want to just go back and do you know, because you know there's different ways to do tape. You can have like a two inch right. twenty four track tape machine, which is very hi fi. And it's hard to get it to sound like that old gritty sound. You know, we've got a Tascam three eighty eight, which is a quarter inch tape you know it's, it's a tiny amount of tape and you can drive the drums drive the bass onto yeah. that tape and you, that's how you get the old sound yeah so I've kind of returned to my roots and just um, made a, a, a new new master sounds record um, a couple of months ago at the Colorado Studios and it's the first time I've actually engineered a, a, an album as well okay so, so I'm, I'm doing absolutely everything with it now and uh I'm trying to capture that original sound of the of the Kev Dodge album. I look forward hark, to that. Hark back to that a little bit, yeah. Because I was listening to uh, the Nashville Sessions too, which is the most recent thing uh -huh. that's available in stream ser services, uh -huh. and it's a much different sounding. It's not necessarily any less analog or less fuzzy, no, but, I mean, but it, it's a really, yeah. or maybe it is. I don't know. It just it's it's a different f fabric to the sound, and it really gives the band another dynamic. Well, I mean. That is super analog because we actually we played uh, straight down onto two track analog tape, and then from analog tape it got cut straight to vinyl. So no uh, yeah. digital process whatsoever. Nice. On those, um, it's really raw, but but it's it's also it has a currentness too. Right. You know, I was impressed because I was trying to do the bookend of like then and now and kind of just grasp. You know the pendulum of of yeah. the material, how it sounds. So there's no opportunity when you're recording like that to do any post production. So right. it's literally just live straight on the Takes. tape. So you kind of have to mix it before it hits the tape. Right. You know everything's got to be right levels. And yeah, which is a little difficult when you're playing the guitar and, and at the sure. same time. But I kind of like you know did it yeah. and uh, and it's it's you know what you get is what you get. Yeah. You know there's not, no no changing. 
Right on. That's part of why I love doing this podcast is what just happened where like something that I really loved to have explained to me, but just did not ask. And then you just gave it to me. So thank you. And I know the listeners will appreciate that too. Jeff Franca did that last episode with some drumming techniques with electronic verses. Anyway, um, I digress. Uh, I want to kind of speed it up a little bit um, to what the, when you kind of, the master sounds break through to the U.S. Well, funnily enough, Great Boy All Stars again, and uh, um, 2004, um, we get invited to come and open for the Great Boy All Stars. Kind of, it was like their little reunion tour they were doing. Mm-hmm. I remember. Yeah, uh, we played the House of Blues in Chicago. Yeah. So, I know some of the guys in the band, at least you know, Eric Newsom, the manager, had realized that it, it was the same person you know, right. from way from, back from '95. Or the, where we show up in Chicago, and and they were like. Oh, it's th- it's this guy, again, you know? <laughs> and uh, and it was literally our first first time, and and we did two nights there, and it was just an eye opener. You know, the scene had been um, dying uh, in in the UK. They get they they gave like two a.m. licenses to all the bars and everything, uh. so no one wanted to pay to get into clubs anymore, and it kind of killed the live music scene big time. So, um, so we were kind of struggling out there. They came out and. House of Blues, thousand people, rocking, groove into yeah. to to Boogaloo, and we were right. like, oh, hello, okay, this is where we need to be. So yeah. that was the start of it, and um, um, we came back two thousand five, played High Sierra, right, and uh, played actually played the Boom Boom Room um, the night before High Sierra. Okay, um, somebody asked me last night, oh, how long have you been playing uh, the Boom Boom Room? I was like, Ooh, since two thousand five. I was like, wow, yeah. Quite a while. <laughs> it sure is. Man. That hasn't changed at all. <laughs> right like on. An old sweater. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. I, I was introduced to your music at Bear Creek. Um, you guys yeah. were among the host bands at Bear Creek, along with Dumpster Funk and Lettuce, where you would play two times every year at the uh-huh. mystical confines of Spirit of Swanee Music Park. Yeah. And when I think of folks that I would identify with the park, because my experience there isn't so much Wani, but it's Bear Creek. I think of you guys, and uh, I feel like that was um, sort of like a cosine or kind of like a, an admission that these guys are, they're not just some foreign band playing some like niche music. This is, you are like part of our thing, the La Costa Nostra, you know what I mean? And uh, I just want to maybe talk about what that was like, like the annual thing at Bear Creek, either for the Master Sons or just for you personally. Cause it's like a family reunion, and oh yeah, and you're a very yeah. beloved band, and you're a very beloved guy yeah. in that community. I mean, we we played we played uh, um, we played every single year, and I remember the first year, you know, we arrived not knowing anything. We actually came to one airport, and the runner was at a different airport. So we were in <laughs> Tallahassee, and the runner right. was in Jacksonville. Jacksonville. And we were on the phone. We were saying we're at Carousel Five. He said, "Well, I'm at Carousel Five. And it's like just a little technical issues. Back with uh, Eddie Roberts. And uh, we were talking about Bear Creek, um, yeah. so it was the first time we went. Yeah, like I said, yeah. So the whole the whole uh, chaos happened with us only just making our uh, um, our, our show time. And um, straight after we played, you know, obviously great gig, great response, and everything. Um, Paul Vine said, uh, he said, okay, so I got you guys hotels. It's you know a couple of miles away. And me and Simon were like hotels no we want we, we want to hang out we want to stay you know we want to stay on the festival we ended up both 
me and Simon um, staying at the uh, at the treehouse for the whole weekend. And oh, amazing! That was the beginning of our, you know, great friendship with Paul, and uh, and that that was kind of like we became the fabric of the of the, of the festival like that weekend, just being there, just hanging out at the treehouse, and remember the uh, the final night. We were hanging out there, and I say to Paul, "I was like, I said, dude, if you if you can find some backline, we'll do like we'll do a jam like right here." He's like, "Really? Like, all right, give give me an hour." And sure enough, he got to, and then that, that became a tradition. That sure did. The, the uh, treehouse, the treehouse staff jam. staffter yeah. party, staff, like a, yeah, yeah, and that that's literally how it came about. That's amazing. Yeah. That was something I look forward to each and every year while it lasted. Yeah, and it got a little out of hand towards the end, and they had to yeah. change yeah. it up, but yeah. So, um, an interesting story, uh, an interesting development, really. Um, so last, I guess last summer, end of last summer, I started thinking about the 20-year anniversary of Master Sounds. I'd also um, had a conversation with Martin from Antibalas, who I'd actually met when he came and played with Sharon Jones and the Soul Providers. Well, was it Soul Providers or Soul Destroyers? Anyway. So I'd known him for nearly 20 years as well. And we were talking, and um, he mentioned that it was also Antibala's 20-year anniversary. And I've been working with Alan, Alan Evans of Soul Life, who also mentioned it was his 20-year anniversary of Soul Life. Yeah. So I started thinking, why don't we do like a Bear Creek reunion, 20-year anniversary of New Master Sounds, Antibala's Soul Life. Yeah. So I pitched it to Paul, and... It, it took various forms and you know and it's basically ended up in this festival that's happening in April uh, yeah April. Swanee Rising Swanee Rising yeah. was the original idea was the 20 year anniversary party Bear Creek reunion was what oh. I pitched to Paul wow. <laughs> last summer yeah. so that's how much Bear Creek meant to me that I wanted oh, wow. to bring it back somehow so we've kind of managed yeah. to get some form of it going on but you know I hope Paul doesn't mind me saying that but uh, yeah. yeah I talked to him a little bit about the the idea, I guess, much deeper into it after you'd already, you know, brought him the idea and it took it some kind of shape. And yeah. I've been looking forward to this event. It's a smaller, more kind of like chill version of... Well, what, it's kind of how it started, really. Right, it's exactly. It was, yeah, it's what it was like at the beginning. Well, you know, Auntie Ballas played their 20th anniversary show uh, here last night chill, and at yeah. the chapel the night before. And it uh-huh. was really uh, an amazing uh, evening. But I didn't realize uh, that you guys were peers like that, yeah. and that you know you had this connection to him through the late Shannon, or excuse Sharon Jones, uh-huh. and uh, that's just amazing. Kind of some like full circle shit. Oh yeah, you know? yeah, no, totally, totally, and um, yeah, we've been we've been talking a lot about doing some stuff together. Um, we're gonna we're gonna get some of those guys in the color red as well. And in fact, going back to the Grey Boys, I just had Grey Boy All Stars into the color red studio uh, two weekends ago when they came through Denver. So that right was on. that was kind of full circle for me as well. Like I bet you know from back in '95, and then 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 there in in my studio. So it was all pretty cool. I bet I really wanted to kind of like take our time, but we keep uh, mentioning color red. So we're gonna get right to it. Like you currently live in Denver, Colorado. You've uh-huh. been settled there for some time, and you've created this label slash kind of like. Colorado vibe brand uh, with a like this really old school aesthetic from the vinyl issues to the aesthetic of how your imagery is and your logo and uh, all the different artists on there have um, some sort of really unique uh, niche uh, identity to them. Um, 
in this day and age when people don't really quote unquote sell records and the music business has changed so markedly over the past decade plus mm-hmm. the digital era to have a, a label where like um, the like I said the aesthetic and the sort of connection and community you know is built out of those glorious labels we talk about like a blue note or or a motown you know stacks and you're trying to build that there in 2018 2019 i really found that to be ambitious and admirable and i I mention all the time on social media that the rollout the way you guys present the art has like a lot of class and dignity and it's not like whack you over the nose promo it's just like a really steady for a while it was like on a regular schedule right uh fridays um uh, well tuesday we're actually tuesdays, tuesdays. like yeah. like old we, school I, the yeah. way albums used to come out yeah so we're doing we're doing a weekly release um like i said we, so we we built a studio a year ago we found a space in denver in denver okay uh, by city park um when you say we just uh, let the people know your partners so yeah so there's uh there's four partners um um josh fairman who's the um bass player of sun squabby and mm-hmm. analog sun so he's actually He's been the engineer on several Master Sounds records. And, uh, oh, right on! He had a studio out near Red Rocks, and we've we've you know done several records there. So he was kind of my studio guy. He helped, helped us build a studio and, and runs a lot of uh, sessions and production out out of that. Um, Mike Tolman um, is the art director. So you know it was important to me that, like we say with Blue Note Records, you you knew it was a Blue Note. And you didn't even half the time know the names of the people on the record, but you 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 trusted it because the, you know you saw the design aesthetic. Oh, it's a Blue Note record. It's gonna be good, just because it's a Blue Note record. Right. So it's curated and uh, uh, a kind of seal of approval. So I wanted the Color Red to have um, this kind of like design continuity, so that people would recognize it. People would come and discover new music through it and not just you know relying on you know uh, bands that, that, that are you know successful already um, so Mike yeah he's a uh, director Rod he's also a guitar player and also a, a you know a producer as well and um, and then uh, and then the fourth member Zach Bloom who um, used to work for um, TuneCore so he has kind of all the the technolo- technological uh, knowledge. Was he with Phone Cert also? Yep. Yeah, I know yeah. Zach. What up, yeah. Zach, if you're listening? Yeah, I hung out with him in New Orleans a bunch right. at Kim and Tim's. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, he, you know, we've been talking, we've been picking each other's brains, you know, over the years, every time we come through New York and, and, um, yeah, hold that thought. Yeah, we've got the live out lobby action going on here at the hotel, so we have to stop and start a little bit. There's some kids around, families coming together, so do our best with the sound. But you were saying, yeah. So um, you know, we we you know been hanging out over the last few years and picking each other's brains about the music business and how the music business had changed. And you know, he's uh, a lot younger than me and and kind of has his finger on the pulse for all that side of things. And you know. I know how to make records, mm-hmm. I know how to play and produce, and, and, and I knew how to turn it around quickly as well. And, um, but one thing I didn't know is how to get it out there, and, and you know, Facebook is about as far as I get right. into, into, <laughs> into the social media, and um, um, so you know, it's an important role to, you know, to have someone. I mean, I wouldn't really attempt doing an, a label at this point unless 
I had someone who understood that kind of front-end technological side of things. Yeah. Well, it seems like you've got a guy for each of the lanes and like you have your area of expertise and mm-hmm. everybody brings that to the table and the That's collective. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, we're going to be a big, big color red house here on the Up for Life podcast. So we're going to play, you know, a song every now and again. Anytime you have something coming out that you want the people to know about, have somebody send me the press release. I'll read it on air. I really want to support color red. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm a big fan of josh uh and the music he makes obviously both your your record and the analog sun record made my year-end best of list so yeah we're we're big color red house even though we're here in california yeah i mean you know colorado is is it started in 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 denver and color red is you know it means i mean colorado means color red that's why we called it that um but we don't see it as an exclusively uh, Denver thing, it, you know. It, yeah, you have electric uh, Beethoven down there. Yeah, they're... I mean, a big part of it is like you know people coming through Denver. Denver's just such right. a hub right now, um, and and you know, I, like I said, I you know, I've been living there four years, and I just saw that there was so much going on, so much happening on a nightly basis, and nobody was capturing it, and so that was one of the initial um, the starting points of, of thinking about setting this up, and. Um, you know, and, it, and it's proven to be true. I mean, we, you know, like I said, Grey Boys were in on Saturday. And then I realized Mike Dillon was opening for them on the Friday. So then I hit him up and was like, hey, do you want to come in? And so we, you know, he came in and did four tracks that day. I ended up staying at the studio half because we have rooms at the studio as well. So, um, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So it's, you know, I, and the simplicity of how we've set it up. We, like I said, we're using tape and, um, we're using Pro Tools as well. We dump it from tape Pro Tools, and so we can do edits and, and do uh, overdubs. But it's you know, and it's it's in a basement, so I think I feel like everyone is coming through. It's like it's like making music when you were sixteen. It's like <laughs> like being sixteen again, and uh, there's an immediacy and and, and, and uh, simplicity to it, and it just sounds great straight off the bat. And everyone who comes in, it just just gets inspired to, to make music and it's uh it's just been really refreshing yeah it's been refreshing from a fan perspective especially given you know people haven't really put a ton of effort into label and aesthetic and sort of creating uh you know a world for the art to exist mm-hmm. in and i would think that that's really cool and and ambitious of yeah, you guys um, you know we've also kind of set it up in a kind of business way so that you know, it doesn't cost any money for the artists. You know, it's, there's no outlay, there's no overheads to, you know, there's no expenses to recoup. So everyone gets paid from dollar one. And, right. you know, so you can come in, make music, get it out, and, st- and start a revenue stream for, for everybody. Right on. I think it's also like important that, as you mentioned, like uh, Denver being this hub and artists constantly coming through, and you have this sort of like a Kevin Bacon, Six Degrees of Separation, like you can touch so many different artists, so many different bands because of like all these really deep rooted personal histories that you have with them. And now you have like all these bands and artists that are sort of uh, playing with one another and side projects and sort of this big familial thing. And it's almost like home base can be Color Red Studios where people can just count on coming through, laying something down, connecting and and then yeah. getting on. It was important to make original music as well because you know obviously we we had this this spate of kind of all star jams and right. super jams going on and everyone just playing covers all the time. So that was another thought. I was like, well, 
if people are going to get together and play, why do, you know, if you come in the studio and make some original music, then you've got original music to play on these super jams, and they don't really become super jams then. They actually, you know, become, become projects. Yeah, you yeah. Know, and uh, so, you know, there was a, you know, a lot of different thoughts that, that, that kind of instigated this, and um, um, yeah, I'm just, I'm really happy with how it's going. I'm really happy with how um, both the artists are receiving it and, and the audience is receiving it. Right on. Yeah, we had uh, Jeff Franca on the pod, and he super stoked on it. I know he's been up involved he's in a bunch very, of that. Very, very, very involved in it. Yeah, yeah. 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 For well, sure. I mean, got some bright folks behind the boards yeah. and making the music and creating the art. So, you know, and then and then you know, and remixing is a big part because you know, kind of coming from the British scene, the remixing was always a big part of that yeah. whole kind of DJ culture um, back then, and. Uh, so I really wanted to incorporate that as well because that's also a big part of, of you know the EDM scene. Yeah. You know, it's, it's they're not two separate scenes that that you know they're so integrated these it's days. It's all dance music. Yeah, yeah. So you know we're definitely um, involving that, and Frank has been doing some remixes, and uh, um, we've also kind of branching out to, to Europe a bit as well. I've got except like you said about this network and the six degrees and whatever and. Uh, I realized how big my scene was and how many people I did know worldwide. Yeah. And, I, uh, and I didn't realize it till I started doing this. And then I was like, oh, wait, I can get so and so. Oh, I should get so and so involved. And it's like, so, you know, one of my really good friends in Madrid, um, who's very um, plugged into the, to the DJ scene out there and, and in Europe, really, I've got him spearheading a lot of remixing going, out, going on in Europe. So, you know, we're making the, making the tracks in Denver and then. Sending the stems to Europe and seeing what comes back, you know, it's exciting, That's awesome. exciting times. Yeah, global and uh, you know, connecting all your worlds like uh -huh. that. Uh -huh. Yeah, I uh, there's like a lot that we're not going to get to. We're going to have to do a part two. Sure. I mean, we've got a, we still got some time, but um, I didn't want to just give short shrift to uh -huh. one of the most exciting projects, in my opinion, that's you know come through our scene and our world in. A while, and that's Matador Soul Sounds, which you know we talk about supergroups. You could call it a quasi supergroup, but you guys are a band, and you're right. making original music together as a band. You just happen to have success in other bands, but this is yeah, a band. Yeah, I mean, you know, not a supergroup. I mean, yeah, I mean, it wasn't set up to be as a supergroup. It was set up because these are people that I knew. You know, it's right. Like, you know. It's, these are the people I've met through work. <laughs> right. you know? But for those who don't know, uh, Alan Evans from Soul Live is the drummer, and that came to be because he subbed for Simon with the Master Sounds, well, right? Well, I, I mean, yeah, partially. I mean, he subbed for Master Sounds because we'd been, you know, running into each other and, you know, Jam Cruise or Bear Creek, things like that, you know, just, and uh, we'd end up, we'd end up on stage together and go, oh, we got, we got to do something. Right. And then, yeah, there was a, there was a, um, a time a couple of years ago where Simon, couldn't do a couple of weeks of a run so uh, Alan was my first call and and then I was like okay we really have to do something so we started that off um, and Chris Spees that I've been working with he kind of ended up being a, the organ player of the West Coast Sounds right um, and West Coast Sounds was the band that I started when I lived in San Francisco right uh, side project when from the master yeah. sounds weren't playing yeah yeah, yeah. and um, and uh, so, um, what were we saying? We were just talking about how the, the uh, Matador Soul Sounds kind of yeah, like became yeah, yeah. a band. So, you know, we got Spees in, 
Spees brought Kevin in that, that I didn't know, but Alan knew. And then, um, and we actually, the, f the first recording we did was just a four piece. And I was just like, you know, this, this is such a wasted opportunity. I, I know what we should do here. And, and I called Kim and I called Adrian, you know, and, and, and that's kind of how it, how it happened. That's not the norm, though, to have like two lead vocalists in this scene, let alone two female lead vocalists. But I think that that's like one of the greatest attributes of the group is the front woman or front yeah. women. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and one of the initial ideas was kind of, um, you know, using the voice, the, in, integrating the voice so much in the music. So it wasn't a singer with a backing band. It was like the, it was everyone was part of it part of the band, part of the rhythm section sometimes, you know, so the vocals sometimes act as the horn section and, you know, and doing some of the drum hits and things like that, just kind of like integrating it more than it just being, you know, singer, backing band. Right. Um, and uh, and it seemed to lend itself to having uh, two people doing that. And I got two, my two favorite people from the scene. You know? Yeah. I mean, you knocked it out of the park with them. and. Uh, the the record itself is really outstanding. I mean, like I said, it made my personal best of last year, but it gets a lot of love in our scene, and, and I feel like the opportunity to see Matador Soul Sounds Live is few and far between. I saw you guys do your, like, uh, debut at Brooklyn Comes Alive, uh, in essence, and then I saw you play... Uh, uh, at the Hardly Strictly Bluegrass Festival right. here. We just did um, Jam Crew, so we, we did, did a sail okay. away. We did the sail away. Wow, set I bet that was amazing. That was epic, yeah. 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 What's yeah. on the on the horizon for the future for Matador? Oh, we've got a little mini talk happening in the Northeast uh, in, at the end of March, so March 21 to 24. I'm going to have to send my mom to that. Yeah, so we're at, the, we're at Ardmore? At, uh, we're at Ardmore, um, cool. Brooklyn Bowl, um, Union Stage in D.C., and uh, Mohegan Sun up in Connecticut. Oh, right on. So that's, that's a nice run. 20, 21, 24, yeah. Cool. Yeah, and then we got, you know, we, we're actually doing Fuji Rock Festival in Japan. I saw that. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Soul Live's done that in the past, I think. Yeah, I've, I've, this will be my fourth or fifth year. You did it with the Master I've, Sounds? I've done it three times with Master Sounds. I actually did it with the West Coast Sounds one year as well. Wow. So, yeah. yeah, and you, so let's start, let's hit that for a sec. So tonight is the West Coast Sounds. You're playing three gigs at the Boom Boom Room. The last two nights have been the Eddie Logic Project, yeah. which is kind of like a partnership with you and Jason, right? Uh -huh. Um, as the name would say, but tonight is your thing, Eddie's West Coast yeah, Sounds. Yeah, it's a bit of a reunion, really. We haven't done it in a while. Um, like I said, when I when I lived out here, that was that was the regular band, and we we did a little, uh, quite a lot with it, and released an album with it. And um, um, yeah, we you know we don't get to do it very often. And um, so when I do the actually when I've been doing the Eddie Logic thing, I've been using the guys from the West Coast Sounds as the band. Um, it's just such a such a lineup of heavyweights, really. You know, with Jamal Watson on drums, yeah, and he's Big fantastic Lil on bass, and then and then the horns. You know, Joe Cohen, Mike Olmos, who've you know been doing the master sounds. Yeah, they've been your guys and, for a while. Yeah, yeah, and um, uh, and then Spees on 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 B three. So, yeah, I mean, we've and actually with the with the logic thing, we kind of do it fully improv. So right. it's like you know, um, uh, we let he he sets up a groove, we respond to it. Taken into see where it goes, and, you know. Um, so that's really fun. But then you know, tonight, it's you know we'll be doing the album, and then we'll probably throw in some Grand Green stuff. And, awesome. You know, just yeah, it's a bit more, a bit more organic as a as a, as a band. You know? Yeah, I mean, I'll be there right after work. I mean, I'm coming straight over. I might miss the first few songs, but right. um, 
So actually, you know, I feel like normally when I come to an interview or just any time during the day, um, I'm like in a hoodie and a flat brim and kind of just super casual. I'm going to get fucking dressed. So that's why it's the middle of the afternoon. I got this big collar and bell bottoms on, but I wanted to make sure I got to this when we talk. But one of the things that I really, we talk about aesthetic, we talk about authentic, we talk about identity and like you're always been to borrow a phrase a sharp dressed man and it's somebody who likes to get dressed like myself when i see somebody like you out there you know and you're not loud or obnoxious with it you just always have some fresh threads on that are appropriate for the situation so that's why i got dressed at 1 p.m like this because i'm coming to interview eddie roberts and then i'm at this extraordinarily beautifully ornate hotel lobby and I would feel silly if I was in here with a flat brim and sneakers. So I'm glad I did. But I want to talk a little bit about, you know, if you're comfortable doing so. Like, you cultivated this steez that's, like, wholly your own, even though it's a throwback to yesteryear. Like, nobody really carries it like you. Um, talk just a little bit about your your relationship to fashion and clothes. Well, yeah, I mean, it's funny. So it's definitely taken a, taken a bit of a journey. And um, so actually when I was in my... Uh, mid-teens I became like I said I was in a bebop and I became uh, obsessed with um, kind of 1940s fashion and uh, I started collecting um, um, suits and, and you know spats you know two-tone shoes and you know, you know yeah. things like that and I, I was kind of obsessed with it a bit of a, an old romantic really and uh, then it kind of you know kind of morphed into a bit more of a kind of 60s kind of suited thing turtlenecks and, and suits you know skinny suits and then um, but it was funny because when when we started coming to America I was kind of still doing that but then we found ourselves on this kind of festival scene and I felt especially because people didn't really know who we were I felt that we were we were kind of like distancing, distancing ourselves from being kind of dressed up and like where everyone else was in tie-dye and you know t-shirts and so I actually started down dressing to, to kind of fit into the scene a little bit more because you know it's it just I don't know it, did, it was just wasn't it just wasn't jiving right you yeah. know it, it, I it, saw it, one it, video of you dressed down yeah and I had yeah. to be clean shaven and dressed down and yeah. I had to do a triple take is that really yeah. Eddie I know I know <laughs> and so you know it, I, I we kind of did it I mean you know because the whole band used to kind of dress up a bit more, um, you know, that was the kind of aesthetic of the time in the UK with the, that whole right. thing and, and it, you know, kind of kind of retro sound and everything. But yeah, it, did, it just didn't seem to make sense over here, especially we found ourselves on this whole jam band scene. Um, but then it got to a certain point and I was like, you know, uh, I, you know, I want to stop dressing like I wanted to dress you know yeah. and uh, and so I kind of brought it back and, and uh, no kind of about it you yeah. brought it back <laughs> yeah so it's 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 like you know it, I, it's not that this was a new thing it was this was the old, this was the original thing right. and then I kind of went through a phase where I kind of dipped down a bit and and then and then kind of like yeah then then brought it back so and I, I think I think uh I think my my uh my dad can take the uh accolade for this because he you know he or he wore he wore a jacket every day he wore a tie every day actually he knew he always said he he didn't feel like he was dressed unless he had a tie on i can't do the tie thing it just it chokes me a bit i don't love wearing a tie right but you know sports scope shirt you know trousers 
not jeans, you know? Yeah, no, I mean, it's great. Like I said, I, I admire your style, and I know a lot of people, you know, when they think of you and the guitar and the vibe, you know, you're always a sharp-dressed guy. And I it also, inspires people like me to make sure I, yeah, I, I got to look also, good. There was, was one year in, in, uh, in, in New Orleans at the Jazz Fest, um, and it's hard to do it down there because it's so hot in the clubs. Well, well, that was that was the thing. I, you know, that's what kind of everyone thinks. But um, I, I was seeing all the old boys, you know, wearing, wearing suits. The, the suits, and yeah. I was like, well, if they can do it, I, I, there's no excuse. I, then I can do it. And the next year, I came to Jazz Fest, and I literally, I wore a different sports coat every day for ten days. Did all the, you know, fourteen shows back to back, whatever. And and uh, and it was funny because. You know, people really took notice of my playing more. You know, people were like, "Oh my God, you're killing it!" Right. Like I'm playing exactly the same. I'm yeah. just wearing a sports. And just looking, <laughs> looking good doing it. You're looking good doing it. Yeah. yeah. Well, right on. I've always wondered what the root of, or the you know, the sort of impetus for your style. And I feel like you're, you know, if I may say so, like iconic style guy. And uh, you know, I'm stoked to get the the four one one on how that came to be and. <laughs> Um, I'd be remiss if I didn't just at least say hello and acknowledge your lovely wife, mm-hmm. Ashley, who's always been a really big supporter of like my work and commenting on my articles. Uh-huh. And uh, so as such, um, I brought from my wife-to-be, Alicia. Um, this is a safe word cacao. It's a poo air tea with, uh, uh, that she blends together. Chris, nice. your keyboardist, got an order, and he, he loved it. Oh, yeah, and, that's right. He mentioned yeah. it, yeah. yeah so I, this cause... is from the personal stash. We, we shouldn't have any retail ready to go, and I was like, I can't show up without tea for Eddie. Right. So this is out of the personal stash for you and it. your lovely wife when you get home. Please it. share it with her yeah, if yeah. you're so inclined. That's great. That's great. Yeah, yeah, because we just had, because um, I think that conversation happened online. Where we had um, free bass in the studio in Colorado, right? And, um, 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 Sky, the keyboard player, he has his own tea company. And oh yeah, you meant, that was what the post was about, right? Yeah, right. yeah. So then after the session, he said he sent us a bunch of tea, and and Ashley yeah. took a photograph and put put it up. And then I think you mentioned and right. Uh, mentioned well, there's more where that came from. This That's is just right. uh, for what it's worth. Alicia's actually in Guatemala. Oh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I didn't really have the opportunity with, to go through it with her. She just told wow. me where to grab some and what jar cool. to put it in. But there's more where that came from. That's and great. I want to thank uh, Chris Spies for uh, ordering her tea. And if anyone's out there listening is into teas, that it's called Path to Panacea. You find it on Etsy and uh, amazing teas. Um, I brought you a sticker also, you know, nice. one for you and one for your lady. So um, I actually have a few more bullet points, but at this point, I got to get to work. And, and you've already given me over an hour. So I'm going to uh, just thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak with you and really like opening the door to the history of the Master Sounds and Eddie Roberts. And-
Man, that song makes me feel some kind of way. Rebirth, Brass Band, Casanova. I want to say thank you to Eddie Roberts for that fascinating powwow. And uh, again, just acknowledge that I'm so stoked to be, you know, somewhere in Eddie's universe where he made the time to kick down those reflections and that knowledge and those experiences. He's a true gem and asset to several music communities and a big part of the Bear Creek family and just a legend of our time. So shout out Eddie Roberts and check out the new Master Sounds, Matador Soul Sounds and Color Red. Now we're going to get into the Jazz Fest preview section of this here podcast. Now this is the blessed 17th year that I'll be making the sojourn and the pilgrimage to the Crescent City for New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Festival. And most of us know that the festival is really the daytime event that happens over the course of two weekends. And I could do a preview for that as well, but it's much larger and more ambitious. And even though I've been going 17 years, I'm not an expert on the fairgrounds. But I do attend more days uh, of the fairgrounds than I don't. But during the course of the roughly two weeks of Jazz Fest, the musicians and fans spill out into the streets and into the nightclubs and the festival that happens outside of the festival in terms of Jazz Fest After Dark is what keeps a lot of us coming back year after year. There are a ton of annual shows that happen with super jams and bands that only come together at Jazz Fest. A ton of tributes and one-offs, special performances. So, I am going to give a rundown of a handful that I am looking forward to attending, and maybe a couple that I might not attend just because of conflicts with other shows, but are still worth giving some props. And if I do not mention a show that you're stoked about, or you're playing, or whatever, you know, my sincere apologies. Everybody that goes to Jazz Fest knows that you judge your Jazz Fest not by what you saw, but what you were forced to miss. And those wise words came from Super D. Uh, Deanne Herman, now Deanne Berkowitz, my first editor at Jambase, taught me that at my first Jazz Fest. Judge your Jazz Fest, not by what you saw, but by what you were forced to miss. So we get in on uh, Friday night, a first weekend. So we'll be heading up to uh, the Hallam Wolf for Dumpster Funk Presents Dumpster Fly, which is a tribute to Curtis Mayfield and the Isley Brothers. Um, which will be Dumpster Funk and Friends. And then the Motown Get Down is opening, which is a super band, super jam with members of Pimps of Joy Time and Nth Power, Motet, Nate Edgar from the Nth Power, Nikki Glasby from the Nth Power, Mike Dillon, Ryan Jalbert from the Motet, Lyle from the Motet, Schmeens from Lettuce, who was on the last episode. Chris Royal, who's about to drop a killer album with Dark Matter 2, and a ton of others. 
And there will also be Raw Deal, which is members of Naughty Professor performing Earth, Wind, and Fire in the Dragon's Den. Or excuse me, in the Howl and Wolf Den. So that's Friday night. Late night, be heading up to the Leaf for Swamp Grease. Which is something that Terrence Higgins, my favorite New Orleans drummer, puts together. And will involve cats from New Orleans suspects, Eric McFadden, Roosevelt Collier, Bobby Lee Rogers, among others. So that's late at the Leaf on first Friday. Saturday, I'm be heading over to the House of Blues, which isn't my favorite venue. But I'm making an exception for this lineup, which is Foundation of Funk. That's George Porter Jr. and Zigaboo from the legendary The Meters, New Orleans' finest and most famous funk sons. Now they're like grandfathers. But, uh, yeah, the, the whole thing that we do down there started, anchored by George and Zig. Um, so for this Foundation of Funk, they'll be welcoming John Medeski on keyboards, Eric Krasno on guitar, and they're billed as the Lettuce Horns. We know them as the Shady Horns. Ryan Zoidis and Eric Benny Bloom from Lettuce. Late night on Saturday night, I'll be heading down to the Blue Nile for Megawatt Volume 3. Megawatt is a super group that includes Adam Deitch from Lettuce and Break Science, Borm Lee from Pretty Lights and Break Science, Raja Casas from Antibalas, uh, Luke Caranta from Two Bob Crew, and others. So that's going to be like a Afrobeat, reggae, dub, just world music styles rooted in the islands. Heavy ganja vibes. So I'll be at Megawatt Volume 3 late night for Saturday. But I'm also going to dip to the One-Eyed Jack's Nth Power gig, which is a tribute to Marvin Gaye. Each and every year, the Nth Power pick a tribute. And they're just really the masters at the tribute game. Um, in the past, they've... Maybe the greatest jazz fest show I ever saw, or definitely top three, was their first Earth, Wind, and Fire tribute. Uh, their Bob Marley tribute was also exquisite. So naturally, you know they're going to do Marvin Wright. Nigel's involved, plus other guests. Nigel, former member of the Nth Power. So, yeah, Megawatt is kind of the main event for me that night, but uh, I'll be over at Time to Get It Together, tribute to Marvin Gaye with the Nth Power and Friends at One-Eyed Jack's for a bit as well. Sunday. Sunday, I'm going to check out Star Kitchen which is features Mark Brownstein from the Disco Biscuits. Uh, but it's like a funk band that he's put together in recent years with Danny Mayer on guitar, who played with Kraz for a while. Um, anyway, I'm going to check out Star Kitchen for a bit on Sunday, and then I'm going to hit the Lettuce in the Dumpster gig also. Lettuce in the Dumpster, self-explanatory. Yeah, Lettuce in a Dumpster. Members of Lettuce, Dumpster Funk, Thrown Down. Uh, both of those shows, Star Kitchen and Lettuce Dumpster, will be at Maison on Frenchman Street. So that gets us through first weekend. And there's plenty of other stuff first weekend that I might even find myself at. But when I'm trying to do a preview here, you know, I can't go too crazy on each night or it'll just be me reading a bunch of shows. So I'm trying to do my best to select... The shows that I'll either be at or uh, find, you know, kind of pique my curiosity more than the rest. Uh, so in that sense, I'll definitely be at Club Delft's 
Moroccan Trance Party, uh, which is going down with John Medeski, Skerek, Mike Rivard, who's the founder and sort of uh, leader of Club Delph. They play sort of organic dance music. They're out of the Boston area, kind of like Berkeley scene. They have never played jazz festival before, but way back in the day, I got hip to them through their DJ, Mr. Rourke, who was affiliated with uh, the pre-lettuce hip-hop band Fatbag. And yeah, that looks dope. Club Delph Moroccan Trance Party on Monday night. Uh, I'm going to move on to Tuesday just because I have quite a few for Tuesday. I'm sure there's certainly other worthwhile gigs on Monday night besides Club Delph, but I'd love to see a lot of people take a chance on that. So I'm going to stick with Club Delph Moroccan Trance Party for Monday night. Tuesday, Adam Deitch Quartet, AD4 at the Blue Nile. That's an annual gig. Features Will Blades, the Shady Horns, always some sweet guests doing uh, groove jazz, traditional jazz. It's definitely uh, some classic vibes from, from Deitch and company. On the same night, at roughly the same time, Two Bob Crew and Nth Power at Tipitina's. Love Two Bob Crew, classic Bear Creek band. Kind of only see them in New Orleans recent years, although they did just do a West Coast tour, so we caught them here in the Bay last week. But aside from that, not a lot of opportunity to see Two Bob Crew. And they throw it down, like everyone else, super special in the city of New Orleans. So I may not make the Nth opening set, but... I will be at Two Bob Crew at Tipitina's. And then a real curiosity peak would be the Soul Aquarian Salute at the Hallam Wolf on Tuesday night, which is a tribute to Jay Dilla, D'Angelo, Common, Erica Badu, and more. Few things in life that I love as much as the Soul Aquarians. And this is called the Soul Aquarians. But, uh,. They're doing the Soul Quarians material, which was a glorious time from around 97 to 01, where Questlove, D'Angelo, Jay Dilla, Badu, Q-Tip, Mostef and Kuali, Kam, Jill Scott, Bilal, Alicia Muhammad, James Poyser, all got together and made you know six or seven of the best hip-hop and R&B albums of their time. So this is going to be a tribute to that material, and it's going to feature Big Sam, Darrow Jones, Marcus Machado, Bobby Sparks II, Jerry Henderson, Jermaine Holmes. Jermaine Holmes sings with D'Angelo, so you know that's going to be proper. So yeah, we got that uh, Soul Aquarians at the Wolf Tuesday. Also, special mention the Roy Hargrove tribute going down with Maurice Brown and Ashlyn Parker. Wednesday, there's the Cosmic Crawfish Ball going down at NOLA Brewing and Heartbeat Productions. And it's got the Little Baby Jesus Peasant Party, which is a lettuce spinoff that's incredible. Jesus Coombs at the helm going subaqueous. Daru Jones has something at the Crawfish Ball. Roosevelt Collier, Rumpel Steelskin, which is a revivalist naughty professor thing. 
um, Corey Henry's Treme Funktet, uh, white hot local band called the Iceman Special, Billy Ayuso, an artist at large, The Quickening, which is one of my favorite local bands, Benny and the Late Bloomers with Benny. So yeah, that's going down at Nola Brewing and Heartbeat Productions. Cosmic Crawfish Ball, Wednesday. It's like a daytime into the evening. Uh, early at the Leaf on Wednesday, we've got Adam Deitch, Big Chief, Donald Harrison, and Will Blades. So if you happen to miss that Adam Deitch Quartet jazz show, this isn't exactly the same, but it does have Adam and Will plus Big Chief. So it's authentically New Orleans at the same time. So that's that's a, a sleeper. Deitch, Big Chief, Will Blades, early at the Leaf on Wednesday. The classic One-Eyed Jacks Wednesday night show uh, used to be the Bear Creek All-Stars. Now it's called the Days Between Band. This year features uh, regulars like Eric Krasno, Nigel Hall. Also, you got Sput from Ghost Note, Snarky Puppy Mono Neon from Snarky, uh, from Ghost Note, Zoidus, Jen Hartswick, Weedy Brema, and of course, many, many guests. And that's a Doors at 11 show at 12.30, One-Eyed Jacks Wednesday. Um, I want to take a, mention, a minute to mention the Instrument Head Experience featuring the artwork of Michael Weintraub and Scramble Campbell. It's going down at the Art Garage on St. Claude for most of second weekend. It's got a bunch of musicians performing. I might even record a couple podcasts there. I want to get Michael on, probably invite some artists, uh, musicians down there to, to tape the podcast at Instrument Head. So I encourage everyone to head down there and check that out. Thursday at the Joy, the lone lettuce show of the entire Jazz Fest. They used to do two and three shows. And in the past four years or so, they've just limited it to the one show called Rage Fest at the Joy Theater. It's produced by Winter Circle. Um, O'Teal Burbridge is opening. I wouldn't be surprised if he came out like he did at Swanee Rising with lettuce. Soul Rebels also opening. Um, that's an early show. Doors at 9, show at 10. Uh, late night, uh, you got the Fire Power show, which is something that Fireworks puts on. Chris Rogers and company every year at Mason. And that's a dope show. And I've been many years, and I may be this year. But my priority after Lettuce is going to be heading over to Republic, which is the old Howlin' Wolf, for a Steely Dan tribute featuring members of Turquoise, Motet, Snarky Puppy, and The Power. It's no secret my affinity for Steely Dan. So, and I love all these musicians. So, I'm going to make it a point to get over to that gig after the Lettuce gig, if I have anything left in the tank. Friday, uh, Music Box Village, which was site of my favorite show last year with Weedy Brema and the Essence of Time. This year it's going to be Ghost Notes Junkyard Jam. Uh, I have no doubt it's going to be extra special. Anything at the Music Box Village generally is. So that's early on Friday. You also have NOLA 50 celebrating the music of New Orleans, which is a Live for Live music show. Uh, headed up by George Porter, Ivan Neville, Ian Neville, Walter Wolfman Washington, Alvin Ford, and then Eric Benny Bloom. And then has a handful of non-New Orleans cats, like Skerrick, Adam Shemin Smirnoff. Also has uh, John Cleary and George Gigas of The Revivalists, and John Cleary of his own band, The Absolute Monster Gentleman. And so those are some local cats that have been added to that gig as well. That's NOLA 50, but I'm going to go up to the Orpheum for 
R-E-S-P-E-K-T. Let's try that again. R-E-S-P-E-K-T. A special tribute to the Queen of Soul from Carl Dinsenstein Universe. For many years, Carl's been sort of my jazz fest shaman, and I've always made sure to catch a late night Carl D show. So my mom is hype on this one because she loves Aretha and she loves Carl and it's kind of become tradition so you can find us Friday night at uh, the Orpheum Theater for Carl D not really sure what I'm doing late night Friday yet or if I'm even going to be there Saturday, Sunday, Monday but I'm going to give some uh, recommendations nonetheless so on Saturday, again, Live for Live Music Show, uh, Ghost Note plays Swagism Live. And you're going to hear all about this show in the interview that I'm about to play with Nate and Sput from Ghost Note that was recorded at Swanee Rising a week and a half ago. I uh, was really lucky and honored to have Sput and Nate break down the history of Ghost Note and talk about what they're planning for this show and others, including the Junk Jam so, Saturday, Ghost Note plays Swagism Live, featuring guests from the album. And you'll hear more about that in a few minutes. Late night, same building, One-Eyed Jacks, Break Science. There's Adam and Borum, I'm sure they'll have a guest or two, but it's been Break Science live band a lot lately, so should I still be in town, I would be stoked to catch just a regular Break Science show and being swimming in funk and jazz and jam for nine days uh, the thought of just some bass music future future bass womp to kind of break up the the monotony of all the funk and i'm sure that's what adam and Borum were thinking when they booked this show so break science late night on saturday also benny and the late bloomers benny's jazz thing happening at the leaf late on saturday you know that's going to be smoking and then we've got Sunday, the James Brown Dance Party, featuring members of his band, the JBs, including my man, Jeff Watkins, who I remember from Brotherhood of Groove, New Orleans band of a generation and a half ago. So yeah, James Brown Dance Party, it'll have Jennifer Hartswick, it'll have Deitch and Isaiah Sharkey. It's a dream I had for a long time when we hear those two guys play together. Isaiah plays in D'Angelo's band, The Vanguard. He's probably the funkiest guitarist on the scene right now. No disrespect to any of my other faves, but Isaiah's got this chicken scratch shark thing that you know makes people all kinds of hot and bothered. So just been kind of dreaming about that. And now it's happening, so. I'm angling to stick around so I can catch that along with the break science and swagism. And then, of course, we got a double reunion on the Monday after Jazz Fest. Papa Grows Funk came back together last year to Patina's. It was wildly successful and well-received. They're doing it again. The Nth Power has always had the Monday after Jazz Fest gig. And this year, they are calling in the old troops and bringing back Nigel Hall and Weedy Brema for a Nth Power reunion of the OG lineup, which is driving me nuts that I'm scheduled to fly out before this happens. So looking to change my itinerary possibly, but if you see me down there, don't hold me to it. It's more complicated than that. But uh, nonetheless, uh, 
probably the show that I might most be looking forward to would be the Nth Power reunion show. That that lineup of that band was supernatural, a spiritual awakening of uh, epic proportions. And while I love what they've done subsequent to those guys departing, uh, what they did as a unit, the Nth Power, uh, you know, 2013, 14, 2012, 2013, 2014, was truly special and unforgettable. And lucky us, we'll get to revisit and relive that glory on the Monday after Jazz Fest at the Blue Nile with the Nth Power reunion show. So there you have it. That's a rundown of like a dozen or so shows that I am stoked about. And uh, there's a ton more local music uh, that should get a spotlight as well. Um, I find that I catch most of my New Orleans-centric stuff during the fairgrounds. Um, but I'm going to make sure that I you know, catch more than a couple in the evening as well. I want to make sure I get to see Soul Brass Band. I want to see Weedy Brahma's Hands of Time. I definitely want to try to check in with uh, Keith Bernstein's Kettle Black, which is a a young cat that I know from back on the East Coast who's been living in New Orleans for a decade and has a great band with Raja and uh, Luke Caranta. They'll be playing at the fairgrounds. New Orleans Klezmer All-Stars is a must. Any number of the brass bands. I really love To Be Continued. So yeah, um, the quickening and the Iceman special, as I mentioned. And of course, anything that Ian, Ivan, John Groves, John Cleary, I mean, the list goes on. Billy Ayuso, Eric McFadden, just cats that uh, I want to make sure I catch up with and catch something that they're getting into. So there you have it. That's my sort of off the top of my head, loosely connected Jazz Fest After Dark 2019 preview on the Up for Life podcast, episode 15. Looking forward to seeing all you folks on the Crescent City streets in just a few short days. Stay tuned for Nate and Sput from Ghost Note, live from Swanee Rising Festival at Spirit of Swanee Music Park in Live Oak, Florida.
All right, and we're live here, Spirit of Swanee Music Park. I'm your host, B. Getz. I'm here with Nate Worth and Robert Sput Seawright from uh, Ghost Note. Yes, here. sir. What's yeah, up? Yeah. What up? What up? Yeah, what up? super stoked that you guys made a few minutes this afternoon. You guys just breezed into town. You got a couple sets here this weekend. And uh, I want to just talk a little bit about introducing uh, folks to the Ghost Note project and, and what they can look forward to uh, in New Orleans in a couple of weeks and just in general, like... Uh, Tell us a little bit about the vision of this band. How did you guys conceptualize it and put it together? Well, it all started with with us meeting in this other band you might have heard of called Snarky Puppy. And we uh, we played in that band together uh, year-round for almost, what, like 10 years, Spud? Oh, it was longer than that. Longer than that, yeah. 12 years, 12, something yeah. like 13 years. And, and so our relationship as like a rhythm section, as a drummer and a percussionist, kept on evolving and growing. And that was, I mean, it was kind of addictive t- for us. And we enjoyed doing that. And so we had this concept to maybe just do a drum record and then that blossom into today. I mean, it's a long story, but I think it's just music evolves and... For us, we went into the studio and wanted to make a record that was groove-based and not about solos, but still a drum record, you know, because we couldn't really think of record a record that did that. And then when we were making it, we realized, well, it'd be nice if there was a melody over this or something, because we're, we're, you know, we're musicians, like we love music, we love a good melody, like we love a good composition, and, and Spud is such an accomplished writer as well. And so we, the record just kind of started evolving, evolving, evolving. And then once we released it, uh, our agent kind of pushed us to take it on the road. And there was an opportunity to go on the road with Corey Henry and the Funk Apostles, and it was their first tour as well. And so we kind of went out together to... With, with, along with Mark. Oh, along Mark, with Mark Leteria. Mark Leteria's trio. And it was the it was first All tour. of our first bands. Yeah, it, it was the first, first tour. tour yeah. yeah, Snarky family tree kind of We called yeah, it the we D We called tour. it the D tour. <laughs> Because like, all of us were kind of trying to, you know, try kind of, we, we were trying, trying to, we were trying new things to yeah. do do some new stuff and do our own projects. Yeah. Uh, I think inevitably when you're when you play in a, a band, you, you there's a creative process that you want control of at some point, and and it's it's just there's nothing wrong with it. Like we love Snarky Puppy, and I still play in the group uh, here and there, and and Sput is still involved with the group as well, and we're always. Once you're in that band, it's like you're family for life. And there's so many members that just are busy doing other stuff right now. And that's beautiful. And I think that's actually what Mike League has always encouraged. He loves seeing people blossom into new things and and follow that honest path of yourself and your creative journey. Because that's what music is. You know, It's like we're on this wild ride, too. I, I can't predict what type of record I'm going to write or be involved with in the next five years you know it's a journey and so the band right now is on that I feel like and so we've evolved from this drum group to this funk band and that started with the addition of Sylvester Onegiaka and Mono Neon and when those guys were added it we had this this lead sound and incredible funky soloist sound from the sax and then the bottom end I mean Mono Neon's one of the funkiest humans on the planet yeah and he just kind of changed Sput and I's overall 
direction, I feel like. Or, or, or if not, he, so, he solidified a direction that we were wanting to go in. He just, I, think, I just think he just made everything sound funkier. Yeah. If okay. you will. I mean, we like, we were, we were kind of in the... We were kind of in the same vein. We like we were still influenced by James Brown, and and and, and AJ of, Brown is funky. Yeah, as, he's it, funky as well. Yeah, I mean it's like we was just like he just made everything we played. Like it was certain songs that we played were funky, but like when when Mono came, like everything got funky. Like it was just funky, and um, so we kind of just like embraced it you know we embraced it because it was told it was it wasn't totally different but it was like it was a different sound it was a different sound and it was going it was morphing into something new and 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 um and and so you know having him and then we added other guys too you know to right. to, to you know jonathan monez and jonathan xavier monez, taplin xavier taplin once we added the keyboard element to the band it was yeah, yeah. It was, it was, it was, yeah, it was blast off. My yeah. brother Nickworth, he goes by Galaxy yeah, as well. Yeah. Is he it, was involved early, right? Yes, yeah. he's a, he was involved in the in the original touring group and sort of phase one, I guess, of the band of the touring band. Which is why Swagism became what it became because Nick was phasing out because he had started his own band and he was detouring to do his own shit. Yeah, and um. With with Yak Attack, yeah, he was blossoming with Yak Attack and yeah. his solo project Galaxy, and, and he was just being honest, like a good, you know, brother and a good band member would be, and be like, you know what, I'm gonna need to dedicate the majority of my time next year to this, and Sput and I were like, well, there's no one can replace Nick Worth, right, right, Nick, he's the most original. Like all of our compositions were based around his instrument. Yeah, you would you would expect a bad motherfucker like that to eventually yeah. grow up and do his own shit, you right. know? Yeah. So, I so mean... we had to come up with an idea, with a way to to, to go forward, and Sput was like, well, we got to find a keyboard player, you know, and so... No, nah, tell him about the record. Like, we, we had prepared a oh, record. Yeah. We, had, we prepared a record with Nick, and so... So Swagism, we recorded in 2017 in December, and uh, Nick... In New Orleans. In New Orleans, and yeah. Nick, Nick, about maybe six weeks out was like less than that yeah four weeks out was like uh you know maybe and so we were like scrambling and we couldn't find a well the thing was he was was yeah he was still doing all the gigs and he was still gonna do it but we had to make a decision about how we were gonna do the record because if he was if we wrote this record for him and he's not gonna be able to travel and tour the record we was like oh man like this is gonna be difficult there's no one to replace him ever you know so um we got in the studio and we had like we we had this time booked in the studio and we had like no We had two weeks music. I think, like two or three weeks to write music. Yeah. And Spud and I were just laughing about it at first and he was like, Okay and he kinda dug deep in stuff that he had written um over the last few years and our sax player Celeste Onigiaka did the same thing. And I had like a fragment of a couple of songs and Mononia and song. And so we got in there and we're like we literally got a dry erase board up and we're like all right, guys. What do we got? Let's make a let's make a to do list of priority. Like, how many songs do we have now? And we had thirteen on the board or something, right? Fourteen. Fourteen, we got 14 songs. Okay. Fourteen ideas. Pieces like, of pieces. ideas. Okay. And then we, as a band, made. I mean, like, I've been a part of a lot of great sessions. You know, especially with Snarky Puppy. And some of those sessions, you would leave after a song because you know you were doing live takes and. It, you would just feel that that was like 
oh shit, that was like one of the most amazing experiences I've been a part of. And I had that feeling many times yeah. at the parlor studio during this the Swag epic record. times. We had some it, guys come in from New Orleans, Weedy. People Brandon, kept on Nigel passing Hall. through. And yeah. yeah. It and was just a beautiful, natural session. And, and it just, everything went well. And we got 80% of the work done we, we set out to do. Yeah, eighty eighty five, but that yeah. is like a serious accomplishment. Yeah, yeah, and then we then we went to L A. Got inspired again and we recorded some stuff in L A. at at two hundred six studios and my friend Ben Ben Burgess, our, our really good friend Ben Burgess, uh, uh studio. Yeah, he's also sort studio. of extended family. Yeah, of the band, he does recording and engineering, and he's also an amazing sax and trumpet player. Yeah. So he'll he'll step in if some of the guys got to do other gigs or right. You know, because it's. Today in the music world, it's like that. Like everyone is doing something that's theirs, because you got to be a solo artist, and we're instrumentalists, but we got to be our own solo artist. Right. And you have to market yourself like that, and you have to start your own project. You have to write your own music, and so our guys are doing that, and it's just casting out a web. And so Ghost Note now is becoming this. It's it's something to be uh, <laughs> something to be. Something to feel, man. I mean, like the, the guys got some music going on. Xavier sings yeah, as well. Yeah, like, Xavier, Xavier plays yeah. with Toto too now. And Xavier okay. plays with Toto, but, but we're, you know, for the Swagism show in New Orleans, we're trying to recreate that vibe that we had in the parlor. Okay. And so basically, the, the you know the the a large majority of those guests on the record will be at the show. And sitting in, and then some. There's some new guests uh, that will be there that we're super excited about. Right. Yeah. Was, and with those of, new guests, that that gives it a little bit of that. Yeah, we got we got Benny Bloom from 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 Lettuce. Yeah. And uh, this cat named Munir from. Uh, uh, he lives in Atlanta. He's a percussionist. Uh, he's in Weedy Brahma's hands he's of time. Weedy Brahma's hands of time. Uh, who else? Uh, in terms of there's that. a lot of guests. There's Bobby oh, Sparks is coming down. Yeah, I mean a couple. We got a couple surprise guests that yeah, we, we can't hear. tell you about. Yeah, we can't but, tell uh, you about. But uh, but yeah, we're very excited know. about the guests. Yeah. We can just we can say that that we are. You talking, very you're talking about Grammy about Award winning producers and and, okay. and and one of the you know the the greatest uh, jazz musicians of our time. Yeah, will be there. Yeah, um, we are. So we're very excited. <laughs> we're very excited. And at the same time, <coughs> but you know, and and, you know. And, tr and you know, like now that we have the record swag swagism, we've we've been able to perform it and and tour tour it, and uh, it's developing to some crazy psycho funky, you know, times, and uh, we have fun on stage, a lot of energy, and we bring it. We try to bring it as much as we can because we are fans of each other's first. And we enjoy. Yeah, it's literally a party we, on it's stage. It's like a yeah, and so I mean like whatever, who whatever audience is in front of that is gonna have a great time because we're always feeding it and and giving it you know uh, giving all the energy and and receiving it as well. So, and you guys invested a lot of yourselves in the music community in New Orleans. Like you've been coming down there, snarky doing. This spectacular yeah. night yeah. At, the, at the Nile for years. Yeah. So it's kind of appropriate that you're going to rebuild this record there. It's, it's you appropriate. Recorded it there. And well, you know what? It's we, very special. Nola's very special to us because it's the first city we ever sold out in. 
Ghost Ghost. Oh yeah, for Ghost Note. Yeah, Gossa, for Ghost Note. Yeah. And and it's also the, you know, it's it's a city that we have so many friends in that like that are friends that live there, and another extended member of the band, Alvin Ford Jr. He'll be there that night. He lives there, and it's. It, Man, Jazz Fest too is special. Like, how many years in a row you've been going to Jazz Fest, man? Uh, this is year number six. For I was gonna me. say five or six for me uh-huh. as well. And yeah. you, like at first it was, you know, this is my vacation, and and then soon it was like, oh well, wow, I could. People are asking me to do gigs with them while I'm down here, and next thing I know, you know, I'm playing every day at Jazz Fest, and Spud is playing every day, multiple times a day. I mean, we're down there almost like working now. This year, yeah. I last year got a little crazy for me. With with the gig and so I toned it back a little this year, doing about half, which is yeah. still a lot. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah, it's you never focus. sleeping in jazz fest. Right? And we're no. doing the ghost note stuff, which is, I mean, swag is. In, first of all, we're we're playing the record from start to finish. So, if you're not familiar with the record, it's a double disc that we recorded, and so I'm talking about 19 songs. Yeah. And it's a lot. And on every song, there's a new guest. Okay. Or two new guests. You know, and so the rote, the, 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 the flow of the night is just going to be one hit after the next, after the next, after the next, and surprise guest, surprise guest. So we're doing two sets, disc A and disc B. Uh, and some of those songs, about half the songs, we've never performed live. So that's what's exciting too. And yeah. there's a lot of vocal tracks that we have on the record. And so those people are coming down and we're going to have, you know, f- for once to perform with the vocals on the record. And, yeah. that's, and the rapping and the MCs are coming down. So that's going to be super exciting. We're really excited yeah. about So So Topic. He's such a force. It is like he is fierce. Oh, yeah. We got, we got a dude named. The new edition, uh, Jermaine Holmes. Yeah, from D'Angelo's band. From D'Angelo's yeah. band oh, is wow. singing on the record now. Right. He's yeah. doing uh, uh, the song with So-So, actually. Oh, nice. And um, Looking yeah. at the world. Yeah, so we're kind of excited about that. And so, yeah, if you're familiar with the record, if you're familiar with Ghost Note, you know that this is like a, a, a very uh, strong, like it's a high goal for us to accomplish. This is going to be an intense night of music with the amount of guests that we have. Yeah. But you're up for the challenge. I mean, you guys gig so hard, you've oh, been on the road wait. so hard that, yeah. you know, it's it ain't going to be anything for you. Oh, yeah, we really, we, man, you we ready? totally geeked about it. Oh, I mean, like, I this is wait. our last, <laughs> this is our last shebang. This is the, the end of the Smack'em, this is the end of the Smack'em tour. Yeah. Okay. And so it's that, yeah, it's, man, I'm just, you know, last year we did maybe 70 or 80 gigs in the year, and this year we're set out to do over 130, and we're going to back to Europe, we're going to Asia, and Aus- I mean uh, Australia, New Zealand, and so we're starting to expand, and we're basically out on the road the whole time. It feels like we've been on tour since December 31st. Yeah, and we have. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and off the stage, we're we're growing more together, so that is reflecting on stage, and there's all these things that we're coming up with. It, it, there's improvised moments that happened because of something that funny that happened in the van. And the crowd likes to experience that kind of stuff because we love to experience that stuff. So yeah. we're out here just trying to play funk and have a ball at the same time, you know, yeah. bring, yeah. The, bring the positive energy. The, yeah. the evolution of the band, you know, 
So I saw one version when Nick was in the band, and mm -hmm. then I saw uh, when Mono was just kind of sitting in. He was an official member. It was mm -hmm. just like featuring Mono, and then mm -hmm. I saw the two nights in Oakland and the Ivy Room in Albany, New York. Oh, uh, yeah. Albany, California. Yeah. So it's been like, you know, about a year apart th and yeah. watching the band grow, and now we're going to get to see two sets here at Swanee. I was thinking yeah. on the drive over, like, first time I ever saw you guys play was here, like 2009 in the campground stage. My first time I ever saw Snarky. And you like blue minds and like you always have fans in this region because of that experience and the people who came away from that. And now you get to do it again with Ghost Note here. Yeah. And blow minds because, you know, they some people may know you from Snarky, some not. But yeah. Everyone that walks away from this this weekend is going to be a Ghost Note fan. It's a fact. Oh, cool. Oh, wow. You know, Thanks, that's, man. Well, we, that's, like to, we like to think that That's way. one of the yeah. reasons why we're excited to be here because <coughs> for us, you know, we, we when we started the band... It was Bear Creek. We were, it, it was yeah. Bear Creek. And we was like, man, we need to, I would love to do Bear Creek with our band, you know? Yeah. And so it's, so it's, it's the same thing. It's the spirit, the it's spirit of Bear Creek. It's good to see Sewanee rising come, rise from the ashes of yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Bear yeah. Creek. Like, yeah. we are, we are pumped to be here. We love these grounds. Um, yeah, we and love Paul. Paul loves us too. So it's like, yeah. it's, it's really fun to, to, to be a part of his new the endeavor. The Lettuce homies, yeah. you know, we're excited about them. And we, we had a great time, road, right? you know, we had a great time together and it was a nice matchup of music. And I think everyone that caught us uh, supporting Lettuce in yeah. January on the yeah. East Coast would agree. So yeah. good that it might happen again. Might. Yeah. Might. Uh, I hope you bring it for the, the fall. Night, you know. felt a little left out in California, I'll tell you that. Oh, really? Uh, we, it, we got Ghost Note and we got Lettuce, but not together. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. you got to get it together. We're hitting the, yeah. we're hitting the West Coast hard this year we're coming right back too yeah. uh yeah i'm gonna see you guys at the same room yeah and then the boom are we doing nice right? in a row almost there yeah, yeah, yeah we, we're, i mean we're santa boom, cruz boom. is kind of close this right. is uh the mose alley we're doing mose alley and then right we're on. doing uh the next night we're doing albany the ivy room and right. then the next night we're doing the boom boom room yeah which is i'll see doing nice in a row another thing about 13 this, 14 15 another thing about the swagism show i forgot to mention is uh we we don't we, we're, we're kind of like keeping it not we don't know what we're gonna do with the footage but that swagism show you're gonna capture it we're gonna capture it yeah and and we don't know what it's gonna be but it's, it's gonna, gonna be, be something it's gonna be epic though it's gonna be like an epic hbo kind of and the other thing about it too movie. is yeah yeah, yeah movie yeah. We, we kind of pushed for the time slot that we got and it's in my opinion i think it's the perfect time slot it's that eight like 9 p.m show time 8 p.m. doors, you're done. It's done by midnight. So for people that are trying to like leave the festival grounds and take a quick nap, they can make that show. Right, and they you don't know, have to stay out all night. Either. It's also a lot. We're playing a lot of music, so you can even come and catch the second set. You know, but obviously you're gonna want to be there for the. I think. Yeah. I feel like if you're not there, you want to be set, there for the first set. Yeah, yeah. You, you. If you miss the first set, you're gonna have FOMO like a mug. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's all I can say you right now. That. If you're listening, you gotta catch the first you gotta set. Get there first set. <laughs> you heard him. But, but you I, know what? You know we we're doing other things in in, in Jazz Fest too. We're doing the music box, which yeah, is, was a popular thing last year. I saw the you night guys before. Last year with and one thing that we're really excited about. That's almost about, sold out, actually. So. Yeah. Well, one thing that we're really excited about is is the Ghost Neon show, which is uh, the, the Monday. Monday, yeah. Which is the 29th, uh, April 29th. And it's Ghost Note playing the music of Mono Neon. So, oh, right on. And, man, and we really love this kid so much. Like, And he's never really 
done a neon show with his music like with playing his records you know right and so it's gonna be his first endeavor he's gonna be singing yeah and playing it's crazy because like yeah. w what we're doing at jazz fest i think is what a lot of bands like like to do and we're this is what we like to do is we're playing three times but the only time you can hear Ghost Note as Ghost Note is the Swagism show. Right. Yeah. At the Music Box Village, we're doing a completely different lineup. We have a lot of special guests from New Orleans that are going to be a part of it. That's a and, different show. Yeah. And it's a different show can because Spud's playing can on like Spud's being on like he's like on trash drums and right. I'm on like weird metal. Like they're building yeah. me a metal thing to play. Yeah, like like a contraption. I can't <laughs> wait. It's like going to be a dream come yeah. true. Yeah. And and then like he said, we're playing the music of Mono Neon, so. Come see Ghost Note during Jazz yeah. Fest. Like we are going to be throwing down. We're got all three different, completely different shows planned for. Yeah, it. yeah. That's and you're dope. just building towards the spectacular. Oh, I mean, Swagism is, is the is, is the, the massive. Show. Right. I mean, I I cannot. I'll be at that, wait. and I'll be at the music box. So I cannot wait for yeah. it. Count me in. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, Jacks, baby. any any uh, ideas when maybe you might get back. Write new music and do. Oh, the we next do record? We've already put. That's two what I was. That's what I was saying. Like we we're, we're doing one last shebang with the uh, with the Smackem tour, and then I mean we're still gonna be playing the music forever, but um, we're gonna start diving into some new. Well, stuff. Well, we're also introducing yeah. half the record into a live situation. Yeah. That we can, because what we like to do is some of the songs we were discussing this the other day is that. Are we gonna play it the way that we recorded on Swagism, or are we gonna play it the way that we play it live? Right. You know, are we gonna honor the record for this one time, and then you know, because we like to we like to cover parts of songs of like legends that we yeah. love that I fit love in songs of ours. We do that sometimes. Yeah. And we also uh, we gonna play it the way we play it now. Completely change a section, yeah. and just it'll just become right. like a a <laughs> the funk like. Mono Neon will play a bass line, or Xavier or Vaughn Henry will play some type of keyboard. Like, one of the members plays something, and then that section forever, or at least for a few weeks on tour, is changed. Yeah. Yeah. And so, Spirals out one you know, we are constantly thing. hungry, because no one, I mean, we don't want to play the same, the same song every night. I don't mind if we get funky, please. I don't mind if we get funky, Indeedy. Want to say thank you to the good folks at Ghost Note, who you're hearing right now from Aisle 5 in Atlanta on my birthday, February 19th. Thanks to FunkCity.net, my man Jake. And thanks to Sput and Nate for that 
conversation and history lesson on Ghost Note and Swagism, and really looking forward to that show in New Orleans in a week and a half. Now we're going to get to the Vibe Junkie Jam of the Week. Kind of wanted to keep it New Orleans, keep it simple. We already got a pretty long episode here. So, uh, yeah, I want to thank Eddie Roberts. want to thank Ghost Note, Swanee Rising, Path to Panacea T. And now we'll get to the Vibe Junkie Jam of the Week. And I'm going to go with the Prince of the Piano. New Orleans' own James Booker. And we're going to hear one of his classics, Slowly But Surely, live from Germany in 76, where he made a live record. He was at his absolute finest. Um, The ghost of Booker kind of haunts me when I visit New Orleans. and I don't know. wanted to just take a moment, instead of playing something of the now or super current, just wanted to kind of offer a deep bow to the Crescent City and the musicians and the culture that built this place that we love to frolic. Um, we talked about some of the issues at play with Derek Smoker, and I believe that was episode four or five. But uh, yeah, I just want to pay some respect and, and honor the culture and heritage of New Orleans by playing this amazing James Booker performance slowly but surely for the vibe junkie jam of the week and with that we'll wrap it up for episode 15 it'll be either two or three weeks till we get to the next episode depending on how jazz fest pans out and so forth but I appreciate everybody's patience and support we love the reviews on iTunes you can reach me at b.gets at upfullife.com if you have any comments critiques suggestions we're open to them but for now we're going to sign off on episode 15 of the up for life podcast with the vibe junkie jam of the week from james booker slowly but surely i'm your host b gets and we'll see you next time Right now.
forgotten or no The birds and the ants I know the trees and plants They're gonna bring me all the news It won't be no use, it won't be no use Because the world will be going all around and round And slowly getting back together Right now.